Because she's got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. <laughs> That's actually really impressive. You got to go throaty with it. Is what you you, you turned all red and you have a vein in your forehead. I never <laughs> thought I existed. So that's really impressive. That's the Pacino vein. Hey, everybody. And welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched Heat. So I, before this week, had seen Heat exactly once. Um... Over 20 years ago, I think, I was probably like 13 to 14, um, in my childhood bedroom in the very house I now currently live in, <laughs> and I was like, that was pretty good. It also, because this movie's from 95, it had one of the weirdest trailers I'd ever seen, and it like gave nothing away, and the whole, the whole trailer was basically like Pacino, De Niro. They're in a fucking movie. Like, you're going to come watch it. Like, that was the whole sell. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I liked it pretty well the first time. And now I'm just like, this is like in the rotation of movies that I'm going to watch a lot. Because it's, it's so good. It's like the perfect bank robber movie. I don't know what you would put above this. Like, Inside Man is one of my tops. Um... And that's, but that's got like a completely different feel to it, like zero deaths, zero real bullets shot. Um, but this is just like an absolutely amazing movie. Two hours and 50 minutes that feels like an hour 45. Yeah. Like, and there's probably some fat here and there, but it flows so well that it's just like, I wouldn't, you don't need to really cut any of it. Um, the only, the only fat. I guess that would be in there is the relationships, um, the like girlfriend, boyfriend, husband and wife relationships that they cut to. But I don't think get get those ladies out of there so we can get back (laughs) to shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, that's the stakes, right? That's what they're fighting for. That's what they're they're kind of doing this for. Um, Except for De Niro, who really doesn't have anyone more of a cut and runner sort of guy. Um well, but you know what's funny is that everything is done well. It's not like it's so focused on the macho bravado shit that it lacks the foundations of these relationships. Or it's not so much focused on the relationships that you feel like you're missing out on the action. It's just everything feels like perfectly balanced and you get enough of this to make the other thing important enough to continue um so i think that that's really cool and like you said it it flows really well does not does not feel like three hours the other thing um is the the feel of the movie is so odd in the dynamics between de niro and pacino to where it's just this whole thing is basically like a game right like the a the, game it's all, of cat and mouse. It's basically like kids playing cops and robbers, seeing like who's going to win and like the deaths don't matter. And it's just like, they, because like the way Pacino treats this is like, he's like, oh, this guy's fucking good. Oh, I love this guy. 
and like they have this meeting that's we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about but just it's not like real life to them it's like just a fucking game that they both play and like whatever the results may be that's it you know even to the end what what's crazy is that you can totally see it for de niro right like his um he purposely doesn't have anyone close in his life because he knows that his life is this and he loves it so much. What's weird about Pacino's character is that he has this woman who has this daughter and he has this life that you know throughout the movie he can't balance it, obviously, but he tries. And the fact that he tries is kind of weird for me because De Niro doesn't even try. De Niro knows what's up, right? Um, But it's almost like Pacino doesn't realize how much he is in this, uh, into his work. Yeah, well, and the other thing, too, you know, I said it's like a game, but De Niro is, like, the most disciplined person in this movie and, like, you know high up there with like most movie characters and just like it's a game to him but it's also like he has to he's one of those people that like it's not about fun for him it is about just playing it perfectly right and so like he never takes chances the the one scene where he like hears the dude make the noise and like he's like all right we're out we're cutting it right now we're done and like what and he's like now we're done like and just uh, the way Pacino talks about all the perfect moves he makes, which I think like complements him very well. Like in the movie, is like a perfect yeah. way to present it. Like it's it's just so interesting to see the guy with the most discipline is not the cop. The cop's a wild man. Everyone else on the crew is a wild man a little bit. Yeah, Ex- except Tom Sizemore in his like most like laid back the conservative role <laughs> um but then you have <laughs> and it like didn't, yeah it didn't have to be right but then you, you know it's funny it's like uh fucking val kilmer is this like drug user like it's not in the movie but it was supposed to be that he's like addicted to heroin like was either in the initial script or whatever it's one of those unspoken he looked things. it he looked right. it yeah he looked completely strung out right and so he's like he's got a heroin issue he's got uh, gambling owes issues. money to books. Yeah, gambling owes money to bookies, right? And he's the one that survives. And De Niro, who <laughs> plans everything to a T, fucking doesn't. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering too. I was like, at the end of the movie, I'm like, I have to watch this movie again because I'm like, no way does it end how I thought it end. And then I, I was like, I'm missing someone, right? There's like someone from the beginning that I'm missing, and I'm like, no, everyone fucking dies except young val kilmer but of course you know i it's coming right uh the right before right before his great work in the ghost in the darkness this is before the ghost huh that's what i'm yeah yeah well yeah this is 95 ghost in darkness 96 wow he looks like whatever they did to him to make him look like a strung out junkie really worked because he looked super old in this one Right, and he looks um, young, young and virile, you know, chasing lions. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, what, what's so strange, too, is that how off-the-cuff they made the Pacino character. Because I think when you um, when you cast Al Pacino, and, and ironically enough, right, in Dog Day Afternoon, he is the bank robber, you think that he 
would be the bank robber, which is, by the way, I went into this movie knowing absolutely zero. I didn't know if it was bank robbers. I didn't know who's the cop, who's the good guy. I didn't know anything. So in the beginning, I thought that Pacino was like in on it. Like he's an inside man for the, for the robbers. Um, obviously I found out quite quickly I was wrong, but you don't think of him as like the foil to Robert De Niro's villain, right? He's the hero of the story and, and he doesn't act like it. Right. What's funny is, um, I read this like little interview snippet where they're asked De Niro and Pacino what which side they want to would want to play a cop or a robber, and De Niro said I would want to be a robber, and then Pacino's like I would want to be a cop that steals, and so like your point of like oh, I thought he was going to be like their inside guy. Um, since this is so long, I do want to start getting into it. And one thing, the way this movie starts is super interesting, not explaining anything to us until like we don't really. You know what's going on when it, once it gets to the robbery, but like you have probably twenty minutes of scenes up and up and through the robbery, and then you have Pacino explain everything, right? So you have De Niro stealing the ambulance in the very that's how it starts, right? And then you have Val Kilmer buying like explosives. You hear, and so you know what the purpose of that is for. But what I think is some cool details of that is like. Oh, he's like billet to like Tucson construction. And then he shows his driver's license and it says Arizona. And then later on, one of the cops is like, oh, yeah, we can't trace those explosives because you can buy those anywhere. You can buy those in like Arizona, New Mexico or whatever with just a driver's license. And I was like, oh, shit, like that ties perfectly. Um, But the other thing in this very beginning is like how fragile the Natalie Portman character is, like how well that is set up. Like, she freaks out over her berets, right? And it's because she's trying to impress her dad. But just, like, all these tiny details, you know, it's why you need three hours to do it. But I think it was, like, a perfect start to the movie right before the first job. It's crazy that you also never see her dad. Um, I mean, like like she does, right? Um, but... Yeah, I was just kind of waiting for that moment where you have like maybe a, a confrontation between Al Pacino and the guy who plays her dad. I was like, oh, who who plays her dad? Um, but you don't. And I think that was an interesting thing because I think Natalie Portman only shows up in the movie maybe three or four times. Um, but her life, as it hangs in the balance in the end of the movie is almost like an upturn for Pacino, if that makes sense. His um, Are they married, by the way, him and the they, woman? They are. It's very... Okay. It's like... Uh, <laughs> okay. John Voight explains to De Niro that they're married, right? He's like, oh, he's got a wife named Justine. I was yeah, like, yeah, that's right. He, when he says I was like, I didn't know they're fucking married. And then when I watched it the second time, you could see a ring on her finger, and I was like, but I'm not going to catch that. So it's like the only... Yeah, it's very, like, subtly done, not really explained well. So, they're married, and uh, he can't balance work, and, you know, it's like an obsession with him, right? So he can't balance it well, and so she basically leaves him. And it almost feels like he, he has nothing left to live for. And then Natalie Portman coming in in the end um, with her attempted suicide 
is almost like the turnaround his life needed because it kind of brought the family back together in a way. Um, so then at yep. the end, when he faces De Niro, it's like now he has something to lose. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even his his wife says like, oh, she, you know, she chose you when he asked if they should call like her dad. And, and there's also like a couple other tiny like Natalie Portman moment. I'm thinking of the one where Al Pacino picks her up and you don't really know what's going on. But she yeah. just kind of like took off, I guess. She started walking because she wanted to be alone. And the person she calls is Al Pacino. Like, you yeah, know, he didn't just stumble upon her. So, um, yeah, that whole little plot is interesting. Yeah. How he does have something and how you know, at the diner scene, we're going to talk about more how De Niro was like, you know, you, you know, you can't be in this game if you have that, like, you know, you got to have, you got to be untethered. Um, the other thing right before the first job, I noticed this the second time I watched it is when Tom Sizemore says, Hey slick, why don't you stop talking? The way Wangro looks at him, he is pissed, like super fucking intense. Um, they they set up Wangro so well because it makes you uh, even before you realize that he's like a serial rapist killer whatever um, he's scary right like he's he's a guy who you, you you don't know if he's just gonna you know kill you uh, and you see that with the with the robbery but even before the robbery just that interaction with him and Tom is just kind of like. He's a trigger guy, you know? Right. And you know, one thing that is really interesting. So when I first saw Wangro, I was like, dude, that is the guy from Silence of the Lamb, Buffalo Bill. It's not. It's not. But it looks a lot like him. And Buffalo Bill plays Bosco the detective, Ted Levine. And Ted Levine was offered the part of Wangro. And Whoa, was like, wait a minute. And w- and he was like, dude, I'm going to be too typecast. I can't do that. Oh, my God. You're right. But you know what's so funny? You say that. But Ted Levine is the head detective on the show I know. Monk. Oh, right. Right. But I thought he was typecast as, as the detective as a in Monk because of heat. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so I, they do look like he definitely looks like a younger uh, version of him. Um, like they look like they could be brothers. Um, so we get to the first job. It's done pretty perfectly, except for I had like a couple questions. One, it doesn't seem like Wangro is necessary to this at all. So like, why are you bringing up like he, he was just like an extra guy to watch the cops. But I feel like you could have one less guy watching the streets and have that guy watching the three cops instead of this dude you've never worked with. So they they set it up pretty well. Um, I forget the black guy's name, but he comes in later in on the on the move uh, in the film as the driver. Once Trejo is kind of out of the picture. By the way, this is like the fifth time Danny Trejo plays a character named his name in a film um so i think that's maybe in his contract that he does not change his character's name he's like Um, yeah fuck it i'm not i'm not learning a new name this character apparently did have a different name and they changed it to trejo of course of course it's in his contract um so when he's out of the picture um they have to hire him as the driver right the black guy um 
which makes sense because they, they don't have a getaway driver. Now, it would be cool if they established that they had a guy who died, maybe, on the last thing, and they that's why they need someone like Wangro to, like, I don't know, specialize in something. But as long as this guy doesn't specialize in shooting someone point-blank in the face, you're right. I don't know why Wangro was necessary. And then the other thing I was thinking about is, what was Robert De Niro's character doing before this? Why is this the point where Al Pacino like gets onto his case and like figures out that this maybe I guess maybe they were so good the previous times that they couldn't connect it. As I'm talking this out, this is like I guess the only argument is that there was nothing to connect them previously, and this time he's working this case and he gets the the, the lucky break of the slick thing <laughs> is yeah. like. That's like such a tenuous thing to me. It's like kind of a a little bit of a flaw. Like that's what gets them in this. But um, I guess you could make the argument that the reason they were just so good before this and that they never killed anyone until they had some asshole like Wayne grow. So like those other cases could die off if it was just a robbery. Maybe that's the thing. Because clearly Neil McCauley had done other. He was like well said at this point that he had done other jobs and he had made a, a tidy sum of money, uh, you know, before this job that the first one we see. Um, I, I took it as remember in the beginning where the, uh, one of the cops is talking to Pacino and saying like, Oh, are you going to take this? And then he said, no, pass it off to, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, He didn't yeah, say pass I, it off. He said he he said we are gonna. He's like, does this look like some junkies held up a Seven Eleven? Yeah, we're gonna take this. No, right, you're right. So he he yeah yeah. So he took that one. So maybe maybe because you know the end robbery is a, is like a is like a holdup. It's like a classic bank robbery holdup case, um, which is a lot different from knocking over an armored truck which they came like super prepared for. So maybe that's, that was it. Maybe they did bank robberies well, by I don't, the book seem- and that flew under the radar. And yet this one looked super professional because they weren't after money. They were after bear bonds, right? Yeah, bear bonds. The number one, like how to get a lot of money at stake and in a small amount of like, so it's easy to carry. Bear bonds were the whole diehard thing too. Um, yeah. But I do think the executing of the guards is probably like a big deal. And so I already said this, but like one of the, my favorite scenes is when Pacino walks up, you know, they're explaining the scene to him and he's like, Oh, these guys are really good. He's like, they knew our response time. So they got rid of the helicopters because they did it so quick that they wouldn't be able to get there. He's like, they once once someone shot the first two guards, they knew, you know, it's already murder one. So no need to leave a witness kill the third one. Um, like just the way he kind of lays out, like how good these guys are and all of that. Um, still just like the the slick thing registering with him is of being like, that's an important detail is kind of I guess it was like a throwaway thing. Like, you know, because he even says to the guys, like, it's probably going to mean nothing but run it anyway. So, but still, it's like that those tenuous things that, like, hold the story together. I'm always like, eh, that's a little much. By, by the way, I was looking up the casting. Um, 
the the black guy who they get towards the end of the movie to be the the getaway driver is that the Allstate guy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean he okay. he's done other things, but yeah, the Allstate guy. <laughs> okay. He's also got one of those voices that yeah registers. Um. So next we uh we get to meet John Voight, which just like I don't know, did he choose to look like that, or was that like? foisted upon him like hey we want you to do this uh is pretty interesting i it's john Voigt. he probably just came into the casting audition looking like that and they were like oh perfect and then i like how they're at the diner and everyone knows wangro's about to die right but Wang, right. but wangro wangro thinks everything's cool he's like oh man i had i had to you know i had to set it off like you know the guy. The guy was trying me. It's like no one fucking believes you, dude. No one. So stupid. So dumb. Even as I, I thought, oh, that guy's. You know, Wangro is going to kill that um, security cop driver, and then he was like, by Tom, he was explaining to him like they can't fucking hear you because they're bleeding out of their ears, and he still like took it as an offense that this guy was just like staring at him like deer in the in the headlights. And I'm like, how stupid can you be? But then you realize it's not stupidity. It's just like his lust for murder, blood. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a psychopath. He's like a. We find out later he's a um, serial killer. So, um, but there's like two big mistakes in this scene that kind of happen at the same time. The first is telling Van Zant that you stole his bear bonds and just thinking he's going to be cool with it. John Voight's like he's a player. He knows the deal and he knows like. He's going to get 160% or 140% of his bear bonds now instead of, you know, just the 100 or whatever. That's a huge mistake that I don't know if that would have mattered anyway. But the major one is letting Wayne Grow get away. So two, two things. One, that's John Boyd's fault, right? Go after him. Don't go after the guys, you know? Like, what, what the hell? Um, also, if... What's his name? Van Van Nat? Van Nat? Van Zant. Van Zant. Um was such a businessman, then he would look at this as a like a business opportunity, right? But he he has so much he's like so prideful that um that that's what gets in his way. Um well his his character too doesn't his character doesn't make a whole lot of sense because it's like in the beginning, he's like, oh, I'm a badass. How are they going to steal from me? And then his first plan doesn't work, and he just, like, turtles in and is like, oh, fuck, these guys are way more serious than me. <laughs> I have to hide. Yeah, not even that. It's just, like, he... When he does hide, he's always, like, um, he's scared, right? Like, you can see in his face that he's, like, He's frightened, especially with the De Niro phone call. Uh, he plays it off all cool and, and stuff. And then De Niro's like, I'm talking to an empty phone. He's like, I, I don't understand. He's like, because the guy on the other side of it is fucking dead. And he hangs up. Dead and, man, there's a dead man on the other side of this line. And he's just so like, like his true colors start, start showing right then and there. But when he has like a, like he starts to think that he's out of, um, the the trouble of it fucking de niro burst through his house window um but yeah it's it's crazy it's nuts 
The other thing is like they should have kept Wango disappears like a ghost first of all. But like you how did you not know that he was going to be a problem, like a continuous problem? Like why did you not keep looking for Wango? Why did you not go find him? He's not How do you let him escape in the first place? You have him on the ground at gunpoint and and why was De Niro like so busy looking at the cops? Yeah, wait for not... yeah. Have your guy tell you that the cops are, are exactly. driving around. Don't be looking at yeah, that part. We would twice. be such good bank robber slash killers, David. Well, it's the execution part that we'd probably suffer and the planning might be might be pretty good. Um so there's a couple like quick fire scenes. Uh we find out that we find out about Val Kilmer's gambling and you know, he's married to Ashley Judd and she's not happy that they're not making any money, even though you know, their life looks pretty good. Did you know she is playing a prostitute, Ashley Judd? She is a former prostitute who married Val Kilmer. I, their, their backstory is like they met in Vegas and she was like a high, high class escort. Oh, I did not know that. No, that is nowhere in the movie. So um, and then there's no lead in the explosives because, you know, they bought them in Arizona or whatever. And also, like, we then meet uh Edie, who's played by Amy Brenneman, and I thought that scene was a little too quick for someone who's like no attachments to just like fall for this woman after like thirty seconds. Well, I thought like maybe weeks went by. What's interesting is that the the time is kind of weird because it just he you're right he just kind of attaches himself emotionally to her right away. But I thought, oh, you know what? Like the first time watching this, he's he mentioned something about he he's going to watch the bioluminescence, um, and he's like oh, next week, right? And I was like, oh, does he do that? And then he comes back, and then like this is a continuing relationship from there. But then when he's like leaving and takes her with him, I was like, this is this whole movie takes place in like a week span. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's all very quick. And it it kind of feels like a little bit in an unexplained way that like De Niro's doing one, two, three last big scores to get out of there. Although he finds out about the bank one sort of halfway or not halfway, like 45 minutes into the movie. So maybe just that one being worth, you know, $12 million. He's like, okay, that'll be the one to get me out of here because $12 million split four ways is enough for me to move to Fiji. Um, which Fiji's probably more expensive now. Everyone wants to go to Fiji, you know? Right. Um, it was the 90s, man. Uh, the, the $12 million, yeah, that's a, that's a crazy amount. I don't think successfully from a bank any, like that much has ever been successfully robbed from a bank. Yeah, there's only a couple hundred in Dog Day, too, you know? There's a couple hundred bucks. Bo- oh yeah, because because they didn't they got the shipment the <laughs> yeah they got the carrier wrong yeah. Um, the next scene I want to talk about, and I didn't want to talk about this scene until some of the line readings, but when he meets with the black guy who's like a CI for him, like an informer, but his line of empathy was yesterday, and today you're wasting my motherfucking time, and then after that, give me all you got, give me all you got, <laughs> just screaming at him. So fucking good. That's the that's the type of performance that people pay good money to see Al Pacino do, you know? And I'm doing it for free. 
<laughs> Can I pay you not to? Um, the the whole story with his brother, I thought that was bullshit, and then it turns out to actually be something of like weight to it once he gets to the to the nightclub. Um, I it's it's funny because you really think the brother is going to get his ass beaten in by Pacino because he's coming off all like cocky, like whatever pig sort of thing. But as soon as he mentions Slick, you know, we know and Pacino knows that it's legit. Um, And I love how it's not like a it's not a nickname. It's like something he calls people. So and then Pacino just was able to make that connection very quickly. And that was Tone Lock. Did you recognize Tone Lock? I recognized that that was his music playing in the background. <laughs> Very good. Um, you know, one thing I didn't realize, and this was right before that scene with Tone Lock, is I didn't realize that Henry Rollins plays uh, Roger Van Zant's guard. Uh, yeah. He's also the CI that tells them that you know calls in the bank robbery that fucks everything up in the end or you know yes with an, with an hour left i didn't realize it until like i looked on imdb and i was like oh shit he's been in this the whole time which obviously makes sense um and then also there's the scene where he finds val kilmer at his room and he gives that no attachments allow nothing in your life that you can't leave in 30 second flat when the heat is around the corner which is such a good like line and motto for a bank robber that he has to say it again later in the diner scene right yeah i mean this whole this whole movie's theme is about man's pride right like if um if de niro didn't feel like he had to prove a point with with wangro he would be home home free right it's 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 crazy to think like little moments of your life leads up like different down different paths. I'm trying to think of a decision that Pacino made that did not serve him in the end, but nothing is coming to me right now. Yeah, I mean, this is really about the mistakes that De Niro makes this movie. I mean, because in the end, everything works out for Pacino. Before we get to the Van Zant exchange, the one last thing I want to talk about and. The way De Niro treats women is probably the only thing you can hold against him in this movie. So first of all, he tells Ashley Judd that she has to give Val Kilmer another chance. Like He's like, I, you're not giving a choice. You have to give him one more chance. And then he's like, but if you do and he fucks it up, I'll, I'll set you up in your new life. Which is a pretty decent deal, right? But like, it's a pretty the- decent deal. But the only reason he makes it right is because of um, he wants his head. He wants Val Kilmer's head in the game. I think he also cares about Val Kilmer. I think he cares about his guys, right? Like he Well that that's another thing. It almost seems like Val Kilmer is the only person he cares about. Like no women, cut and run, fuck everyone, kill Wangro, but like he's he's ride or die for Val. Well he cares about Time Sizemore too, because he basically tells him he should sit out the bank robbery. He's like, you don't need this money. You shouldn't come. And and then he's like, we get the line that we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just the way he treats her, and then the way he like treats Edie in the end when she finds out about the bank robbery is like a little not great. Although he does, 
he's very aggressive with her and makes it seem like he's kidnapping her. But she does say, when am I allowed to leave? And he's like, you can leave now. You know, but the way he acts, not the best. The Van Zant exchange is pretty great. I just, Van Zant, like, it's kind of a bitch, right? Because he's like, he acts <laughs> tough. And then he sends two guys. That's it. That was your plan? Yeah, just two guys. Yeah. Um, Like, not even thinking that he's going to have, like, eyes in the sky about it. Right. And then we get the line, which you already said, but the, there's a dead man on the other line. Is That's, like, a fucking great moment. And Fitchner does a great job of, like, hearing that line and reacting. You can almost, like, see the gulp in his throat of, like, fuck. He so. plays a great evil businessman. Yeah, the first thing I really remember seeing him in is he was the... Um, did you ever watch Prison Break? No, I never watched Prison Break. He is the... Well, spoiler alert, they break out in the first season. In the second season, they're on the run, and he plays the cop chasing them, and he's... I can't remember if he's dirty or just, like, driven, but either way, he's fucking great in that show. And then, yeah, he's great in everything. Um, apparently, Christopher Nolan, like, this is one of his favorite movies, Heat. And so, in The Dark Knight... He has William Fitchner playing like the bank owner in the beginning, and he's like, "Do yep. you know whose money this is?" And the Joker's like, yeah. "I don't give a fuck." Yeah, and he has a shotgun. Like, what bank owner has a shotgun that he just comes out, ride or die? Um, but it's funny with with William Fitchner. He's the evil corporate CEO guy in the 2016 live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, works work, baby. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta make checks. <laughs> No, but he's he's great because he he just I don't know he just plays this evil CEO character so fucking well. When he's also too like whether it's Heat or a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, you're getting the entire William Fitchner experience too. Like it doesn't matter. He's like I'm gonna give you all I got. Yeah, the way Pacino would want it. (laughs) Five seconds in The Dark Knight, and it's everything you want from him. Right, like it's a scene I remembered. It's the beginning of the movie, and it's like not that important. And yeah, it's... well, he's a he's a famous face too. Like when you see him, you know him. You know, yeah. Someone call him a that guy. So we get the Wangro killing the sixteen year old girl, which is pretty fucking gross, right? I you don't realize how young she is until they tell you afterwards that she's like he's going after like children. Um. And it's at this point that you're like, I don't know, maybe you felt differently, but I'm like, Robert De Niro has to fucking kill this guy. Um, like, this guy has to die. I, I can't. Well, yeah. I can't go on in a fictional world where Wayne Grove gets to continue living. So. <laughs> so. I thought this movie was going to be a lot different because they put so much emphasis on the Wayne Grove plot line about him being a serial killer and no one knowing this and them kind of like looking for it. It, it it's basically put there just so that we get a sense of like all the shit Pacino has to go through in his daily life like what kind of nasty crap he has to see as a cop um, but I thought there was especially when De Niro and Pacino sits down at the diner I thought there was going to be this this deal almost where De Niro knows they're looking for a serial killer and he knows Wayne Gross serial killer. So they almost work together to try to like stop this serial killer. I mean, now that I say it and now that I know what the rest of the movie about uh, movie is about, it's kind of stupid, 
But for me, I thought that makes the most logical sense to tie in Wayne Grove's story to the main story. Well, so I think actually the whole point of that is so you're more satisfied with the ending. You're, you accept that De Niro died killing this guy that everyone wanted to die, right? Um, and it kind of leads me to this question I was going to ask you at the end, but I just want to do it now. Would you prefer De Niro to have not gone after Wangro and lived, but then Wangro also gets to live? Or do you prefer the ending the way it was? Like, which ending would have satisfied you more? Do I get one where Wangro dies and De Niro lives? No. <laughs> um, that's the one I want. You know, it's weird because De Niro plays a, a villain, but I did not want to see him, you know, lose. Um and I, I also didn't want to see Pacino to lose. And I thought maybe they were at the airport, they were going to come to like an agreement. But uh, she was like, ah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I just, I'm just pulling your leg. Um, he shoots a no, BB but... gun. He shoots a BB gun. He's like, I won. All right. See you later. Um, you know what I thought they were going to do? And th- this might answer your question. Obviously, I, I, I'm glad he, uh, Wayne Grow died. But when De Niro goes to the door to get him out during the the alarm pull thing, he came prepared like with a gun and he's like, yeah, I can't, I can't go. I thought he already is in the middle of like killing someone in the hotel room. And so when De Niro comes in and shoots him, I thought there was going to be a pan over to like a girl almost dying. But like, De Niro saves her inadvertently, you know, like by mistake. Um, But then I was like, how could the cops who's watching this guy in good consciousness let that play out, you know? Honestly, if De Niro had left him, the cops would have probably caught him. They'd be like, you know, that prostitute went in there two days ago and she has not left. Also, what were they doing staking out his place? They knew that that they knew that De Niro's team knew that he gave them up, right? So he, so the whole reason they staked them out was staked him out was because, on the off chance that they might come for revenge, right? Yeah, they had no other leads on De Niro, so this was it was either this or nothing. Like they weren't going to catch him any other way. But did they have anything on Wangro like at all? They must have had him on something like bank robbery or something, right? No, they weren't. They weren't watching him because they thought he had done anything bad. I mean, it's the same way that they were watching uh, Ashley Judd's character in case Val Kilmer came. You know, they, she didn't. She hadn't really committed a crime that they. I mean, they, you know, the accessory that they said they were going to charge her with, but it wasn't because of the crime. It was because this is like it was bait. Yeah, I understand that. I'm just thinking like if they thought this guy was in cahoots with these bank robbers long enough, maybe he has a rap sheet himself. You know what I mean? Well, he definitely has a rap sheet he'd gotten out of prison. Because he mentions that to the random bartender who he asks yeah, for yeah. work. That's, true. That's um, true. So we get to the metal job. Uh, some asshole makes a noise. And I'm surprised, like, 
It reminded me of The Departed when uh, Alec Baldwin starts beating that dude up. I expected someone to like hit this guy, but well, you know, it's not a Scorsese movie. Um, I thought Pacino was going to go off on him. He just sort of looks at him, and the guy, you know, the guy feels like shit too. He's like, "Fuck!" <laughs> but I love, first of all, the stare between De Niro and Pacino is fucking great. De Niro just staring at the truck and then going in, and like, "Let's get out of here." But the one SWAT guy was like, "Hey, we're still going to arrest them," and and Pacino's like, "No, they will walk." And he's like, "I'm not going to let them walk because of your fuck up." And he's like, "I have tactical command, which supersedes your rank, and they're going to walk." Shut the fuck up! Like this is over sucks too and it's just like because because all the questions that i'm asking and the audience is asking is just get them on the b and e right but then he explains that they can just get out of that with a misdemeanor so well and, and as you find out later too the the main advantage pacino has right now is that that they don't know for sure that they're on them and they don't know who is on them after the noise is made they know someone is on them and then very quickly, you know, they pull a move that we'll talk about, and now they know. But um, that was the advantage that he wanted to keep. And that's why he's like, you know, we can't arrest them, get him off the street for, what, six months? And, you know, that's stupid. Um, we get the scene right after this, which is, uh, you know, they, they talk about whether they're going to do the bank or just leave. And um, Val Comer's like, it's worth the risk. You know, I need it, brother. And then the line, which is probably one of the most famous lines. It's the... It's sort of the name of the podcast we did. Um, for me, the action is the juice. And I love, like, the way Sizemore delivers it with the shit-eating grin is so good. Yeah. I I did not know where um, Steve from For Me, These Films Are the Juice got his name from. Um, and now I get the reference. It's funny. You thought he would do, like, a Tarantino, but this is it's honestly perfect. So um, we get to the Hank Azaria scene. And I'm just going to do it. I'm put too much pressure on myself. I'm not going to do it. Because she's got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. <laughs> That's actually really impressive. You got to go throaty with it. Is what you you, you turned all red and you have a vein in your forehead. I never <laughs> thought I existed. So that's really impressive. That's the Pacino vein. So That's I read, <laughs> I read um, this line was completely improvised. Of course it was. And Hank Azaria's reaction is real because he didn't fucking know that it was coming. Yeah, because he looks genuinely like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> but what I love afterwards, after he says it, he's like, <laughs> Pacino's like, you know, when with a really great ass, it just kind of, I'm sorry, it just kind of gets me going. You know, like, <laughs> when you think of an ass... <laughs> you think of a woman's ass, yeah. Um, or a man's. He said woman's. Anyway, moving on. Um, the next scene where they get caught is pretty fucking great. They're like, oh, what could it be? It could it be the refinery, the scrapyard. Oh, no, they all use checks. Um, and then he's like, he's like, you know what they found? You know what they're after? Us. The LAPD. And he's just standing there. He's like, smile. (laughs) Okay, motherfucker. You're just in a Pacino mood tonight, aren't you? I've honed it in. I've honed it in. There's one at the end, too. What is it? Uh, Bon voyage, motherfucker, at the very end that he does, like, when when he thinks Neil's left the city. 
and he's like, all right, you know, I'm going to go to my hotel. That That's also a really good one. The way he delivers motherfucker is unique. Um, it's up there with Sam Jackson. It's yeah. just like, mm, you know, chef's kiss. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, we, uh, we get a pan up right to De Niro all the way up in like the cranes taking pictures of them. And then a scene with him and John Voight kind of analyzing who they're dealing with, especially Pacino's character. And this is kind of where we get like, he's married and you know, yada, yada, yada. And, um, and then, so they're now aware of each other, which I think is what the whole movie is working up to is, is, their relationship. And what's really great is that before they sit down at the diner, before they actually talk and meet face to face is that unknowingly to them, the whole movie has been a battle between those two guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so in this diner scene, apparently De Niro did the movie because of this scene. He's like, that's, you know, that made him want to do it. And uh, when they were going to do the scene, De Niro said it would be better if they didn't rehearse it. So when they filmed it, it was basically all, I don't know if it was one take, but it was just they put up two cameras to film it and they just did the scene. And I think it might have been the first take, just all at once, never seeing it before, just to make it feel like a little more genuine. Nice. Um, This is the best scene in the movie that doesn't involve, I think, guns. Or Pacino screaming. I guess I can make those two caveats. Yeah, no, and it's it's definitely... I mean, it's two powerhouses going toe-to-toe. Um, and what's really great is that usually you get a... Uh, like, an, like a dick measuring contest whenever you have, like, two big actors going, you know, acting right in front of each other. But comparatively to, like other roles and even other times in this movie they're both like pretty tamed yeah they're like both reserved and it's really they're just two guys that are like in awe of each other's business like of (laughs) of their work they're just like impressed by it because the one thing he's like he's like you know he tells him that like you know you, you shouldn't have any attachments that you can't leave 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat and then he's like do you have a woman he's like i have a woman he's like so you see me you're gonna walk out on this woman and the nearest response is like, that's the discipline, which is really interesting because I didn't time yep. it, but I imagine the way he looks at Amy Brenneman when he sees Pacino is probably like just under 30 seconds when he then starts to run away of like, you know what I mean? He, he leaves her in the end. He is disciplined and leaves her um, when he sees Pacino. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's definitely under 30 seconds. And you think, huh? It's interesting because he couldn't just cut and run because of Wangro. He had to go back for Wangro, but he just cut and run for Edie. You know? Well, it's also, you talked about pride. It's a little bit of ego and a little bit of feeling yourself that he's like, I can kill Wangro. And I mean, if it weren't for the good detective work by Pacino to go to the CI and be like, why, why does the CI know about this? And connect the dots, like, he didn't think that he would do that, but I guess he should have known. Um, and even, you know, John Voight, John Voight is like the voice of reason. He, you know, first of all, he's like, 
are you really going to do this bank robbery with all this heat? And, you know, but uh, De Niro said it's worth the stretch, which means the stretch of time in jail. But he also says to Pacino, I'm never going back to jail. So, you know, that's weird. Um, but then also yeah. at the end, John Voight's like, I don't even want to tell you this because, you know, you're probably just going to tell him, to, you know, but Wayne Grow is under the name Jameson at this hotel. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going. But then you can see his face and he's like, ah, fuck it, I'm going. Um, but back to this. I also just both of them are like, you know, if I'm there and I got to put you away, I won't like it. But brother, you are going down. You know, they, they both basically say the same. Like, I don't want to, you know, I like you, but I'm going to kill you if I need to. Like, that's what I'm going to have to do. And, and and this is the scene, too, where you really feel it's like two athletes just talking at each other. Right. Like, you know, I'm I'm going to win. I'm going to be better than you. It's like it's just a it's it's the game to them. It's the life. Yeah. I mean, especially when in the beginning, when he pulls him over, he's like, I'm let me buy you a cup of coffee. And De Niro's just like, yeah, okay. Uh, so right after this, they all slip their tails. And um, my throat's feeling it, so I'm not going to do it. But the, I had co- I had coffee with Macaulay half an hour ago. You know, that's another great screaming Pacino line. Um, and then we see Wayne Grove goes to Van Zant, says he can help. And then they're all meeting up for the robbery and Trejo calls and says, Hey, the cops are on me. I can't, I can't shake them. And even the second time I, you know, I watched this when I was younger and then I watched this twice this week. The first time I watched this this week, I still wasn't like, Oh, Trejo sold them out. Like I didn't think that, which I mean, he didn't really have a choice. Honestly, he was fucking getting tortured and his wife was murdered. So, um, I do like, yeah, but he didn't, he didn't sell them out to the cops. He sold them out to, to Van Ants. To Van Zant and then Wangro, yeah. Van Zant and Wangro, yeah. Van Nance. Um I like Well what's what's weird is that if the cops were on him, where did they have a chance to not see Wangro torture him? You know what I mean? The cops weren't on him, that was a lie. He, that was just his excuse to stay. They told him to tell them, hey, that you can't show up. Oh, that's the thing? Okay. Which is weird because he says, oh, the cops are on me. And they're like, oh, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I can try and shake them. Because what if they said yes? But he's, they're like, no, because then we won't know if you actually do shake them. So no, just stay well, away. That's what made me think that maybe it was true. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he kills kills his wife anyways, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a... But that's the thing. They all don't know how crazy Wangro is. Um, I like uh, Breeden, you know, who's played by Dennis Haysbert, uh, like pushing his boss over. Not like it's a little bit of assault, just a tiny assault, you know, like as he walks out the door. And I think he also has to met. He's not told the details of how much this bank robbery is for, but it, you have to imagine this is like I get this score and then I'm leaving town. You know, this is like a one and done. You know what? What what scene? And this is backtracking a lot, but the scene that I one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they're all having dinner at that restaurant, like all of them, like their kids, their wives, everyone. Right. And at first I didn't think that all their spouses knew exactly what those dudes did until that scene came. And I was like, Oh, they all know that that's how they get their money. You know? Yeah. I mean, you'd have to, how, 
How, how would you not? The sudden spurts of income, they're like, oh, we can't afford anything this week. But then like on Friday, like, oh, now we can afford everything. Um, well, not even that, but like I thought instead of thinking Val Kil- Kilmer's character was an addictive gambler, I thought that was his cover story is that he's a gambler and that's why his money fluctuates up and down. But she's in on it too. Um, but no, I just wanted to mention that dinner scene because I, I think that that's a really good scene. Well, and we get the cops have the same thing too, right? They're all out to dinner. And um, what's funny is the second time I watched it this week, you see um, Drucker, played by Michael T. Williamson, who yeah. was was unjustified. Um, when he, the way he acts around Ashley Judd's character in the end, I was like almost thinking that he was like kind of interested in her because he's very like nice to her, but he has a wife or at least a partner in that scene with the cops. So I was like, I guess right. that's not it, but, but he was very, very nice to her. Like, I, like almost he had a soft spot for her. Um, we get, to, oh, I thought it was, I thought it was an act. I took it as an act. The way he looks at her when she says that's not Val Kilmer is like, he's like, Oh, this fucking lying bitch. And then, like he gets the call from the cops and they're like, Oh no, it's some other dude. His like the whole demeanor changes. And he's like, can I get you some coffee? <laughs> um, so I'm confused. I'm confused. So she signaled him. He knew to cut. He knew to cut and run. Was that him in the car though? Yeah. It was him. But he just, he just had a different ID on him. Yeah. He got him from John Voight. And those cops, couldn't just recognize his face well he cut his hair um but yeah they should have probably had a picture of him i that was a a big like all right what the fuck's going on here that they just like don't recognize him like what's happening okay i mean i i i really just wanted to know if that was actually him or if the cops are stupid but the cops are just stupid so bad detective work um we are now at what is maybe the best action scene ever recorded. It is the bank robbery. Uh, and it is fucking awesome. Uh, I read a couple things. One, that instead of dubbing the bullet shots, uh, man just used like extra audio equipment to capture like the bullets close up. So it's like live and kind of matches perfectly. Um, he also, in order to accurately portray like the carnage of these like automatic weapons, he took the cars shot them with real bullets at like a safe location, then filled them in with squibs and like stuff like to film it so that like when the shots happened, they blew the squibs and it looked like they're actually shot, which is really cool. That is really cool. I, I've seen the scene before as like uh as an example of like how to do like a good shootout for a movie. Like this is the, this is the go-to example to how to like nail it. And it did not disappoint, like within context and everything. This, the the way that Pacino is running down the street after them, the way that they're, you know, kind of cornered, they're shooting in front of them, they're shooting behind them, they're trying to get out. It's so hectic and so chaotic. But not for a second, you as the audience don't know what's going on. You know exactly the players in this in this fight. Were you just like in anticipation, like wondering, I guess the first time you watched this, who was going to survive 
out of this fight? Um, yeah, I was. It happened so fast, though, and it's so violent that it's, you know, it's hard to, uh, like, you're just kind of in it rather than like, oh, no, who's going to, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it's so quick and so kind of visceral. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I agree. And then it just continues. It just doesn't feel like it ends. It's just like they're not in the street. Now they're going like running into the plaza. And the way Tom Sizemore like picks up this kid like as a hostage um, and Pacino just coming up behind him and just nailing him is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Now that the way he shoots him and just waits for the shot as he has the little girl and turns around and just fucking perfectly in the center of his forehead uh, is so crazy. And, like, you're right how he, he uh, Robert De Niro, like, saves Val Kilmer. Um, just, like, you know, because he's, he, as you said, like, it's the only person he cares about. Now, it's true, right? Because, like, if his cut-and-run thing was the whole, like, principle of his nature, he would have just left him. Yeah, well, I mean, but he it, it, it's like the outside attachments, right? But when you're in the game, you got to play the game correctly and you got to you got to help your The other thing too is like once again I was talking about how Val Kilmer is like so uncareful, right? When they're in the bank, De Niro and Sizemore both put their masks on before doing anything and Val Kilmer hits the guard a few times before putting his mask on. So you've given all these people a chance to look at your face and kind of remember it because they turned off the cameras and the like all the ability to so there'd be no one who would have recognized them if they had put on their masks first, right? Because you don't recognize people. You're not like studying someone's face before they do something crazy. So just once again, his like his nature of like being not careful and yet he's the one that gets to live versus De Niro, who's like does everything as perfect as possible except makes this one mistake in the end to go after Wangro. He's a gambling man. Yeah. And then Breeden dying is sad. It's like, oh, let's add this guy so that we can kill him. Yeah, right? I was like, and then they gave us the whole backstory about how he just he's on parole and he has a wife and yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, we find out that Wangro tortured Trejo and, you know, De Niro puts him out of his misery. He's he's like, oh, let me get your doctor. And he's like, man, I don't, you know, my wife's dead. I don't give a shit. Just fucking kill me. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And then um, John Voight gives up Van Zant to De Niro's like, this is where he is. He's the one that told on you. And De Niro's like, all right, I want Wangro and I need a new out. Um. And so that's like the rest of the movie is him basically doing that. The the Van Zant kill is so clinical. That and the Wangro one, right? Like first Well, with the with the Van Zant, it's just it's a crash through the window. He asks one question, he doesn't know it, and then it's three shots to the chest. Yeah. He's like, Yeah, all right, you're of no use to me because you don't know where this guy is. Um but also I love too, he's like Oh, I need a new out. And John Voight's like, "What? You, what? What do you think happened to the other one?" He's like, "I don't know. Can I trust it?" And then later, like a second later, the next scene, Al Pacino's like, "He's gonna be looking for a new out." And the other guy's like, "Why do you think that?" And he's like, "Would you trust yours?" You know, just like their minds are exa- like, if they switch places, they both would be great at the other's job. Right now, it's my understanding that his out 
wasn't compromised, but we, they we also sure. we don't know for sure if it was because Trejo's like I don't remember. Yeah, but Al Pacino didn't know it. He just knew he needed a new one. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, by Pacino saying he didn't know, but I guess you didn't know if Wangro is still going to come back for more revenge, right? I guess, but also we as the audience didn't know what the out was either. So it's not like we know that they're supposed to be waiting by another airport or by a boat or whatever, you know? It's funny too, is that chair almost did not break Van Zant's window. It was like it hit it and didn't break it immediately, but the reverb of the glass shattered it. <laughs> I wonder if it was a, if it was like a planted squib on the glass just to make sure it broke. I, I don't know, but it it didn't look it didn't look clean. Um, so we then get a little bit of like setup for the end where they get um they get Ashley Judd and tell her she's got to give up Bal Kilmer, and then De Niro goes back to Edie. She tries to run away, and I already talked about this. It kind of feels almost kidnapperish, but he does say like you can leave. He's she's like when will you let me leave? And he's like you can leave right now. She's like okay, but. Can I leave later too? Like, <laughs> how how is this an open leave thing or, right? You know? And then eventually he's like, "Listen, no, it's not. It's no longer an open leave thing. You have to leave now, or you're with me. Like that's it." <laughs> yeah, he's not fucking around anymore. And then we have yeah, and now we're, we're this all leads up to the ho- a, the um the hotel. There is one thing though, uh-huh. Just, Justine cheating on. Uh, Al Pacino. Oh yeah! And I love oh my like, god! I love when Al- Ralph's like, "I'm sorry," and she's like, "You know, you don't you don't have to get angry with us." She's like, "You're not even acting angry." He's like, "I'm angry. I'm very angry, Ralph." <laughs> and then he tries to get up. He's like, "Sit down." <laughs> Steals the yeah. TV. Uh, it's good. It's good shit. Ralph and then like, kicks the and then kicks the TV out the window at the out out the car door. Right. Yeah. Um. So we already talked about uh, her, you know, um, Ashley Judd saving Val Kilmer and him getting away. Uh, And then at this point, um, Al Pacino thinks, okay, he's left. You know, it's been, I gave a certain amount of hours, seven to eight hours. We're past that. So I'm just going to go home. Like Neil's gone. Um, You know, and then we get this finding Portman in the tub thing. And, you know, which... Have you ever walked on wet carpet? Because I feel like when he walked in the room, he walked over the wet carpet. Wouldn't he have felt the, like, uh, feels weird the first time? Was the tub overflowing? Yeah, because he walks back and then looks at the carpet and is like, what the fuck is going on? And then he oh, okay, opens the yeah. door. Yeah, so it was a little weird. Um, you know, a little nitpickish from me. We now get to, like, the ultimate decision of the movie before the end, right? John Voight tells him about Wangro and he's like, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go. Uh, I mean, you and I talked about what, which we would prefer to see, but the shot of him going into the tunnel and it like goes completely white and then kind of like fades in, I thought was really beautiful. What's interesting to me is like, I like Michael Mann movies, but I often think when he like transitioned to go to digital before anyone else did, like they're not that good to look at. They look weird. Right. I can see that. But this is one that he still had on film, and I think it's, like, beautifully shot. So we already discussed about him tracking down Wayne Grow in the hotel room and then him cutting and running. So there's this, like, 
First of all, I I was pretty sure that De Niro had an incredible lead on Pacino. And when he's like jumping the gate, walk uh, running through the airport, I was like, oh, Pacino is so behind. And then like cut to he is literally maybe 30, 40 uh, yards away. Um but the only thing that's like stopping them from getting a clear shot is all these like um uh airport luggage carts going back and forth and then they get uh to these I don't know what these are like concrete blocks on yeah, the no, on the airstrip some, some sort of buildings or whatever um well, yeah I do want to get to that one thing real quick De Niro's process for getting Wangro I think was so cool like the calling and saying oh we got the hotel wrong hotel room for this order and she's like they're always doing that the way he hides his face the way he hides his face at the door pulling the alarm getting the elevator set up so he could get back down and then the way he gets into wanger's room and he's like fucking look at me look at me in the face and then does the double tap in the chest and then the double tap in the head like this is a very satisfying scene so then Pacino sees him, right, and is chasing him and goes up to this point where he could either go back into the building or towards the airport, and Pacino chooses the right way, obviously. There's a cop in a cop uniform standing there with a shotgun, and Pacino, in plain clothes, says, give me your shotgun, and this cop is just like, okay. <laughs> Did he see the badge, or what was it like? He must just- have seen the badge. I, it, we'll I we'll get, believe he sees the badge. Or he's just like, fuck it. Yeah, sure. Here you go. <laughs> Whatever. You want to try this out? Um, <laughs> the last bit is so tense, right, that you t- describe the chase well. And then I think the way it's set up, first of all, there's like no dialogue this entire chase. And then at the very end, it's just the, I told you I wasn't going back. But it's set up to where it's like, you're like, oh, who is going to win? But then the winner turns out to be Pacino because he sort of gets this lucky break with the lights turning on at the right time and him seeing the the shadow. Although I feel like De Niro should have gotten the shot off first, but, but whatever. And also lights don't work that way on an airport runway. They don't just turn off and on like that. But it, it's set up to where it's like, okay, yeah, he bested him, but it was really kind of lucky. And so we don't really know which one of them is better. Like still kind of keeping the mystique of like, Oh, he wins this round, which is the only round because De Niro's dead. But just like keeping that kind of game aspect of it's like, oh, well, De Niro would have got him if it weren't for this, you know, unlucky break that uh, that happened. So that is actually how lights work on airstrips. And I know this because I have spent time on top of a building, an abandoned building overlooking a uh, an airport. And so when a plane does come in close... The runway lights brighten up to the extent that you can see them half a league away. No. And what's also weird, too, is that you mentioned because of the shadows, right? That's why Pacino has the upper hand. But the but the lights are behind De Niro. Wouldn't that have blinded Pacino once he turned around? That was my thought. I thought that that the lights highlighted Pacino from De Niro's perspective, because he's facing away from them, and it would have blinded uh, Pacino. But obviously, the movie wanted, you know, the good guy to win, so. 
Yeah, I do like the moment of holding his hand as he dies, too. Like, I think it was cool, and then it just sort of ends and fades up. Um, I'll just take your word for it on the lights. I did read that that's not really how they work. That they wouldn't turn completely off makes sense to me. Like, maybe mm. they would dim and brighten, but the fact that they would just Oh, I thought com- they did. I thought they did dim and brighten. They just turned off? I guess so. Well, they, it is, it's a slow process, but they go completely off, it looks like. Um, I have a couple of facts. Ooh. So, uh, according to Val Kilmer's autobiography, his agent told him not to take this role because he wasn't going to get paid enough, and he was, you know, he was Batman at the time. And so he told Michael Mann that he would do the role as long as he got to be on the DVD cover. And Michael Mann was like, and he was like, I want to be in between Pacino and De Niro. And Michael Mann's like, of course, yeah, that's fine, cool. Like, I get you on the cheap, that's great. Um, The other thing is, John Voight's character is based on Edward Bunker. Edward Bunker acted in a movie we have done. He is Mr. Blue from Reservoir Dogs. The older guy at the diner scene who we never see after the diner scene. Oh, him. The yeah. guy who didn't want to pay for, for the tip? Now that's Buscemi, Mr. Pink. He's the guy who's like... No. No, go ahead. He's the guy. He's the guy who told Buscemi, oh man, these guys, these girls don't make shit. You have to tip. He's like the no, that's, old... that's who I meant. That's who yeah, I meant. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So that guy is a real-life bank robber, and John Voight's character is based on him. How did Tarantino get a real-life bank robber to be in his... Well, I mean, first he's just like, "Hey, do you want to be in this film?" And the guy's like, "Cool." I don't think he does. He didn't do a lot of other shit, so um, you know, it's just a, it's that's like a totally a Tarantino thing. Like, oh, I'm gonna get an actual bank robber to play this small part, right? And you can tell that guy's not like the best actor, so it, it makes sense. Um, the other thing that most of this movie is based on a real life cop and a real life like Neil Macaulay character that um, Michael Mann was friends with the cop, and so. The whole thing about like them doing a sting and Macaulay hears a noise of the cop in like a another area tipping him off that like oh we gotta abandon this that like really happened and uh, but then apparently he was killed during a robbery of a grocery store uh, according to what I read so not maybe the, the highest... real life the real life cop no the real life Neil Macaulay the bad guy oh the wow. Robert De Niro character um, but yeah obviously the guy is a different name so um, but yeah I just thought that was. Uh, the fact that this is it's not based on a true story it's like an amalgamation of stories or whatever but it's pretty interesting obviously like they built up de niro's character he's not like knocking over grocery stores they actually make that joke he's like do i look like a gangbanger with born to run tattoos knocking over 7-elevens no but then like the real life guy that's kind of what he did a little bit so well that's interesting though i that's interesting so do you have any uh, who would have should have played these characters or was the casting pretty much through and through? Um, well, I think they I think man wanted De Niro and um, Pacino from the beginning. I think those were his first choices. And then he had other people as uh, backups. I read Keanu almost got the Val Kilmer part, which is funny because I read Keanu was up for the part and lost it to Val Kilmer. And then I read Keanu turned down the part, which is also, you know, that's all Hollywood, like bullshit type stuff. I'm sure Keanu, he's a cool dude. He would just tell us. He'd be like, I don't even know. But uh, (laughs) according to to the internet, it could have gone either way. So see, that's another movie I need to watch is point break. 
Yeah, I'm about halfway through it. I got to finish it. I'm, I'm, in a real, <laughs> I'm in a real bad habit of not finishing movies lately. So I was going to say, didn't you start it like months ago? That's what I do. Uh, have two kids and it just life happens to you that way. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. did not let that happen with Heat though. One, because I sort of treat this like a job that we don't get paid for. And so I was like, important to me to actually watch the movie. But this movie is fucking awesome. It's really good. I don't I don't really have a bad thing to say about it. There wasn't like a, you know, I had some nitpicks here and there, but I think they're easily explainable. And as I've said before, I kind of like when movies don't spoon feed you every detail to line up. And I like reading like, oh, she's actually, Ashley Judd's character was actually a prostitute and Val Kilmer was actually a heroin addict. And that explains why they act like this and this and that. Like all that stuff I think is cool. Like the backstory that we don't actually know. Um, and this movie's like, borderline perfect to me um i mean yeah i think i think this movie's awesome and and all the gripes that we had or all the attention to detail that they might have missed we already talked about it through uh through this session and i don't think any of them are too big to you know to ruin this movie for anyone i think this movie is fun and and back to being it being well paced and I think it's because there's action at like every corner of this movie connected with like thoughtful stuff, but the action doesn't have to be as high velocity as like when they're all shooting each other in the street, but it's still enough at certain checkpoints in the movie to keep you going and to keep you interested. And so I think this movie hits those marks. So yeah, no, I, I like this movie. Thanks for showing me this movie. And, uh, I think you're right. This movie is definitely going to be in like yearly annual rotation. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched Heat.